Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Acts chapter 24. So we're just continuing our series in the book of Acts, and we've made it to chapter 24. Your homework last week was to read chapters 21, 22, and 23, and I know you did that, so uh, I'll pass the tests out pretty soon and see how well you did on reading that, but just kidding. It's always open book when it's the Bible. And... um, uh, Acts chapter 24, we're, we're going to do pretty much the same thing this week. We're going to look at the entire chapter, uh, just this one chapter, though this time not, not three chapters, but I'm going to assign it to you as homework because I'm not going to take the time or be able to read every single verse in the chapter, but I want to talk to you today about uh, exactly what we prayed about with the, with the kids, uh, about not putting Jesus off in your life, not putting him off until tomorrow. And we're going to draw a special focus to look at the life of a man named Felix in this story. Last night, I had an opportunity toward the end of the fair time. And by the way, I do want to reiterate that, that we're so grateful to everyone that took part and helped in the fair. And I hope you had a fun time. Uh, I personally had a lot of chances to, to just share with people unexpected and even to pray with people. There was one lady, for example, that came there with a broken leg and was carrying this heavy chair. And I asked her, I said, well, can I help you carry that? Because, you know, you're standing at the gate. And she said, no, I'm, I'm fine. And she goes, well, if, you, if you've got some kind of magical power to heal my leg, that'd be great. And I just said, well, I, I don't, but Jesus does. Could I pray for you? Oh, that'd be wonderful. And just had an opportunity to pray with her. And there's so many opportunities like that. I mean, that's little bit more spectacular than usually happens, but, but uh, there's so many opportunities to minister to people when you do activities like this. So I really thank you for taking part in it, and I hope that you had fun and you're not too terribly tired from the whole thing. I know I'm really thankful to all the youth, the kids that got involved. Uh, they did a fantastic job. They really worked hard and did a really good job, and it's a great experience uh, for them. So, Thank you for that. Well, at the end of the evening, uh, yesterday evening, uh, our bass player, AJ, was walking out, and he said, I, I want to talk to you, Pastor, and uh, he shared with me, and I'm just letting you know this so you can be praying for him, that he's, uh, you, know, you know, he works, and uh, he needs to work out of state sometimes, and so he's got a job, I think he said, in Montana. His family's still based here, and he's going to, you know, he's going to be here, but he's got to leave and come back, and he said, you might not see me in church for a while, but I really want you to uh, be praying for me and stuff. And, 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 then, and then he asked me, uh, we, well, I'm not going to go into the whole thing because, you know, I don't want to embarrass him or anything. It was a great conversation, but he didn't say you could announce this to everybody. But the gist of our conversation, we ended up talking for a really long time, and it so blessed me. And the gist of it was just, why do so many people limit God and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives? When we have this great God, when we have this great uh, Lord who wants to work in our lives and we just, we just limit him. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. There's a story here in chapter 24 about a man named Felix. There's a lot of things that we could look at in this story, but I want to especially look at the end of this chapter and we're going to get to it in just a few minutes. But to get there, I need to tell you some things about Felix because you can't understand chapter 24 if you don't know who Felix is. And when this was first read in the first century, everybody knew who Felix was because he was a very famous person. And Paul stood before Felix and Felix uh, judged him. So uh, let's begin by not even reading from the Bible, but I'm just going to give you some historical information about this man named Felix. So Felix, his full name is Mark Antony Felix, Marcus Antonius Felix. Uh, just like the famous from Shakespeare play, Mark Anthony. And there's a reason for that. He was about 55 years old at the time of the story that we're reading here right now. So he was, I'm just a little bit older than he was. We're about the same age at the time of the story that we're reading right now. And he was the Roman procurator, which is like the Roman governor of Judea. 
his uh, throne or his place to judge people and his main office would have been in the city of Caesarea, just as it was with uh, Pilate. He's the most famous of the uh, procurators that we know of in, in the gospel. And he's in that same position. Um, Felix, I like his name. You know, it's like Felix a cat. Felix <laughs> was the younger brother of a, another uh, Mark Anthony, of Mark Anthony Paulus. So basically they're called Felix and Paulus in history, P-A-L-L-A-S. And both of them were slaves. They were born and they were raised in slavery. They were freed from slavery together when Felix was about 35 years old. So Felix, the first thing I want you to understand, was born and raised a slave and he had all his life a slave mentality. There's a great song that Shalene was taking the lead on that we sang there at the end about being free from that slave mentality by the blood of Jesus. But he had that slave mentality. It was locked into his, into his mind, and he evidenced it throughout his life. So Paulus and, and Felix had been the slaves of one Antonia Minor. Uh, this is a woman. Antonia Minor was the daughter of of Mark Anthony, the famous one, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. She was the daughter of Mark Anthony, and that's why their names are both Mark Anthony. And she was the niece of Emperor Augustus. Uh, so Augustus is the emperor in the time of the Gospels. She was his niece. Both Felix and Pallas had been descended from ancient Greek kings, but when Greece was conquered by the Rome, their line came into slavery. So just try to identify with Felix for a minute. I know it's like way, way far away from our lives right now, but, but, but the state of mind is very much like ours are. Somewhere on the inside, he knew that he was born for greatness, okay? But he had been lived, born, and raised in slavery. And he was torn between these two things, to live a great life or to live the life of a slave. Unfortunately, Felix, on every step of the way, chose the life of a, of a slave. So Paulus, his brother, his older brother, was exceedingly wealthy. He was a very wealthy man, and he was a very corrupt man uh, because he was the secretary of the treasury under Emperor Claudius, an emperor that comes later during the time of this story. So at the time of this story, Felix's brother is the secretary of the treasury. And, uh, you, you know, that gave him quite a, a number of opportunities to, to deal in corruption. And it was Roman politics were like our politics today. Uh, and Paulus lived a pretty long time and prospered under Emperor Claudius. But true, when Nero came to power, Nero had him executed just towards the end of the book of Acts in AD 62. So let's talk about Felix. Felix was made procurator of Judea upon the request of his brother Paulus. Okay, and that's how politics work today. That's how they worked back then. So in AD 52, Felix was made the procurator of Judea, not because he had any special qualities to be a governor or a judge or, you know, any of these things, but because his brother, you know, had, had clout with the emperor and it was a high paying position. So that's how he got into this. If you want to know some more about Felix, he was exceedingly cruel, history tells us. He was exceedingly corrupt. He took bribes and he loved bribes. And he enriched himself on the pain of other people. Immediately after the beginning of this story, just a, a, a little bit after this story, in AD 58, I already told you about this when we talked about the Sikari, who are the assassins that carried those long daggers and knives in their cloak. This man, Felix, wanted to kill the high priest whose name is Jonathan. And he wanted to kill the high priest, Jonathan, because Jonathan was a political opponent of his, not, not because Jonathan was uh, especially pious himself, but he was a political opponent of uh, Felix's. So in order to have him killed, uh, he intrigued uh, through a series of channels and so that his name would be clear in it. And he hired the Sikari, these assassins, and they assassinated Jonathan right in the middle of the temple, right in the middle of the temple service. But the assassins themselves were never captured and they were never punished. 
There's a Roman historian, the most famous of Roman historians by the name of Tacitus, if you remember that name from, from school. And here's what he wrote about Felix. This is just one sentence from what he wrote about Felix in Tacitus History, Book 5. He wrote, with all manner of cruelty and lust, he exercised royal function in the spirit of a slave. He exercised royal function in the spirit of a slave. What I'm talking to you about today isn't just a historical thing, but what is, is going on in our lives, what can be in our lives when we limit Jesus. We're born again, we're Christians, God's with us, but we exercise our royalty because we are children of the king, but we do it with the spirit of a slave. Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm, you don't have to open it, but verses 21 and 22 talks about three and four things that the earth cannot tolerate. And it says, under this, the earth quakes. The earth cannot bear up under a slave when he becomes king. And that's who we're dealing with when it comes to Felix. So, Here's another little juicy part of his story. Felix had a wife. Her name is Drusilla. There are two Drusillas in his life, so you have to work hard not to get them confused in history. But his first wife, his second wife, is also Drusilla. But his first wife, Drusilla, she is the queen of Mauritania. Mauritania is on the north coast of Africa in the uh, uh, Roman Empire. And she was the great-granddaughter of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. So you already see that these people are all very well uh, related in the royalty of, of Rome at that time. So she is the great-granddaughter. His wife is the great-granddaughter of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, and she is also the niece of Claudius. That's his first wife. And when they were married... They were married just right at the be toward the beginning of this story, just a couple of years before this story happened. But by the time this story happens, he already has a second wife. Okay? That's just how he was. And uh, even though she was a very well-placed woman, a very high-placed woman, and their marriage was actually uh, uh, the, uh, officiated by the emperor himself. And, you know, you couldn't just divorce someone like the great-granddaughter of Cleopatra, okay? You'd get killed for doing something like that. But he was able to get out of that marriage because he was so adept at paying bribes, licking people's boots, and <laughs> connecting all the political uh, strings together. That's Felix. So he got out of that marriage, and he married another Drusilla. So let me tell you about how that happened. You have to understand this to understand the story. So it's all here in the book of Acts. So Felix had a friend, and that friend's name is Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. And we already read about him in Acts chapter 8, okay? I don't know if you remember when we read about him, but there's a man by the name of Philip, and Philip was one of the original deacons. And Philip went into Samaria, and he began to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. And there were signs, and there were wonders, and there were miracles. And it says in Acts chapter 8, this is really important to the understanding of chapter 24. It says in Acts chapter 8 that there was one Simon the magician who practiced sorceries and deceived, which is a very important word, because his power wasn't real. He was an illusionist. He was able to deceive people and manipulate their minds. But he deceived all the people of Samaria, even the wealthiest and most important people who were in Samaria. And he made tons of money off of his deception, okay? He was a very high-placed, uh, had a, this deceptive spirit. But it says in Acts chapter 8 that Simon the magician got saved. And you can read it. It says very plainly that he received the gospel and so much so that Philip baptized him. Simon became a true, born-again Christian, according to the Scripture, and a member of the church there in Samaria. He got, he got baptized. And then Philip said, hey, you all need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
You need to be speaking with other tongues. You need to have this power in your life. But I'm not the one to do it. I'm going to call these apostles from Jerusalem, and they're going to pray for you. And so Peter comes, and you remember, they're praying for people, and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Simon, the new member of the church, says, Hey, Peter, I've got tons of money. How much does it cost to get the power that I could lay hands on people and they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And then Peter turns to him, you know, and says these famous words, may you perish together with your money. You have no part in this at all. And it's, and it's hard to understand. I thought he was a Christian. Now it feels like he's not a Christian. Well, isn't that the story of our lives sometimes? To be a Christian on Sunday and all of a sudden on Monday, we're not anymore. <laughs> and we have these extreme stories in the Bible that are way out on the edge, but we're supposed to learn from them and apply them to our own lives. I mean, I don't think any of us are far off from Jesus as Simon was. But, but it's so easy. You, you can be born again, baptized in water. You can be this new member of the church, and by the very next day, already be turning your back on Jesus. Remember Peter. <laughs> he turns his back on Jesus when they come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus starts talking about him going to the cross, and Peter says, oh, have, have, have pity on yourself, Jesus. You, you should not do that. That's a bad idea, Jesus. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Just calls Peter Satan to his face. And then, of course, he denies him three times. But Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. So Simon, he actually historically, we know his story continues beyond Acts chapter 8, because he, be, he wormed his way into the company of Felix, Okay. And so Simon and Felix are friends, and Felix uses Simon, and Simon uses Felix. And Felix intrigues through Simon to woo the second Drusilla. So the second Drusilla is the daughter of Herod Agrippa the first. So she's the daughter of King Herod, not the one when Jesus was born, but his, his grandson. So all these people are in this story, and she's here in chapter 24 also. And she was considered to be the most beautiful woman in all of Judea. And Josephus, a famous Jewish historian, wrote of her, she was as beautiful in face as she was in body. And I know that, you know, you don't, we don't say those kinds of things anymore, women, I get it. But back then, that meant this is really a hot babe, okay? And, and uh, so when Felix saw her, you know, he was like, I'm done with you, great-granddaughter of Cleo Cleopatra. I want that, Drusilla. And he was able to make all the connections, tie all the strings together to make this happen. And he used Simon to worm his way into Herod's family and to, because Simon was a master of manipulation. And so he ended up getting married to the second Drusilla. And she divorced her husband to marry Felix. Now she was a very devout Jewess, as was Herod. I mean, as far as the religion goes, these Herod people, they really kept the Jewish religion, okay? Maybe it wasn't from their heart, maybe, you know, whatever. But if you remember, even the Herod at the time of the crucifixion of, of Jesus, he was very interested in knowing more about the Messiah. These people's hearts were not completely closed, but they were corrupt. And the corruption held sway over their heart at all times. So she was able to divorce, got, you know, got all the permissions to do it. She divorced her husband which was a denial of her faith because she had no uh, scriptural ground for that divorce, but she divorced her husband and she marries Felix. Uh, we won't talk any more about her. She's in the story, but she, they do have a son together and his name is Agrippa also. And just in case you're interested, Drusilla, number two, daughter of Herod, together with her son Agrippa, they both are uh, of the few people that history tells us that we know for a fact that they perished in the uh, eruption of the volcano uh, Vesuvius in A.D. 79. So they both perished in that volcano, but Felix lived on. <laughs> he had other wives too. Okay, so we got this Simon. He's been converted with Felix. He has this career of continued corruption, but he knows Jesus, or at least he knows about Jesus. I'm not going to make a decision here whether he had real faith in Jesus or not, because, because only God knows those things. You know, I don't know when Simon died, did he go to heaven or hell? I can't tell you that. But I do know from history that his life was not the, the life of a Christian. Although his confession was of a Christian, what he spoke, but it's not what he did. He lived a life of deep 
corruption and enriched himself off the pain of other people. So Felix, because of his association with Simon, okay, and because Felix had this desire to exploit the Christians. You know how easy it is to exploit Christians? It's so easy because Christians want to win the lost. And so Christians want to have a Christian nation, don't they? And so Christians want to elect Christian officials. They want there to be Christians in office, okay? And, and, uh, and, the, and it's a wonderful thing. And we have some wonderful Christians in office. But Christians tend to get this idea that we'll establish the kingdom of God here on this earth. It happens over and over again in history, and it never works. It always ends up failing because there can be no kingdom without the king. And the kingdom of God is in our hearts. It's in our midst, Jesus said. But the kingdom is coming when the king actually comes back again in the second coming. And so quite often you'll see throughout history that politicians exploit the generosity and the desire, uh, the, 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 the uh, noble desires of Christians. And Felix was a person like that. He knew that Christians wanted to have favor with the government, and so he would use his position and kind of worm his way in with a lot of different Christians. But Paul did not feel pray, fall prey to that. And then there's Drusilla, his second wife. And Felix truly had a passion for her. As Tacitus said, he reigned with lust like a slave who sits on the throne. He had a passion for her. And she had a very deep passion for the scripture, strangely enough. And so she knew a lot about scripture. So Felix knew a lot about scripture. Felix knew a lot about the Messiah. And so it is written here in Acts chapter 24 and in verse 22 that Felix had a more exact knowledge about the way. The way means about Christianity, okay? Felix had a more exact knowledge about the way than whom? Than the entire Sanhedrin. He knew more about the Messiah. He knew more about Christianity than anybody, even the high priest, okay? He knew what Paul was talking about. He knew what Paul was preaching about, and he genuinely was interested in this. And that's important for you to understand, because I want you to know that inside of Felix, there were two natures at war with each other, okay? He had a lust for power. He had a greed for money. He worshiped at the, at the feet of this God called Mammon, okay? But at the same time, he truly was interested in Jesus. He truly wanted to know more about Jesus, so these two passions are at work on the inside of him, these two natures, and only one of them can win out in the end. And the, the wrong one wins out in this story. And it's important. That's why this story is written, so that we would be able to see ourselves even in the life of Felix and not put Jesus off until tomorrow. So let's look at Acts chapter 24. And I'm going to go through really quickly up to verse 22 and just tell you what's happening here, and you go back and read it later. So in verses 1 through 9, uh, an accusation is made. The high priest and the entire Sanhedrin comes before Felix. You remember, Paul is under arrest. And they hire a lawyer, okay? And the lawyer's name is Tertullus. And the word Tertullus, the name, is actually significant to the story. Because the name Tertullus means triple hardened or completely hardened. And the story is about someone whose heart is hardened. And so the lawyer comes, his name is Mr. Triple Hardened of Heart, and he comes and he makes the accusation against Paul. He doesn't know anything about Paul. It doesn't matter. He's just getting paid money to make the accusation because he's a, a lawyer and because he's an orator. And he begins his oratory with flattery. When you read the story, it starts with flattery. He flatters Felix. Felix knows everything about flattery and it doesn't work, okay? But he flatters Felix. And then he makes a character attack against Paul. And he calls Paul a pestilence, a pestilence. And he says he's spreading death throughout the entire empire. When he says he is a pest, it means he needs to be stamped out. So he attacks the character of Paul. Next, he accuses Paul of being an instigator of rebellion among the Jews throughout the world, which is not true, of course but it's his accusation. And he says that Paul is a ringleader of the rebellion which is being staged 
by this group of people called the Nazarenes. That's Christians. But he calls them the Nazarenes. It all sounds really scary. I mean, I'm sure when he was making his argument, don't forget what Paul looks like. I'm sure when he was making his argument, he would have said, and look at just right now how his head is shaved, how his beard is shaved. Just look at this man. It's obvious he's the ringleader of the Nazarenes. Okay? And that's what he calls them. It makes this accusation. But what he does not do is offer any shred of evidence. Okay? Everything's just based on what Tertullus says. That's why they hired him. And then in verses 10 through 21, we read Paul's defense. And maybe at some time we'll come back to this because there's a lot of really good things in this. But when Paul starts his defense, he starts with a very strong and courteous argument. It's not flattery. He's just being courteous. He has, he, he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what Jesus told them? That they will arrest you and they will bring you before judges. They will bring you before the synagogue. And when they do, you are not to plan out your defense ahead of time. Just show up in court and trust that my Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak at that time. And that's what we see here with Paul. He doesn't have a big plan. He doesn't have a hired lawyer. He's just there and he's speaking and he's looking always for an opportunity. Where can I share the gospel in this? How can I tell Felix about Jesus? Because Paul knows he's on a secret mission. He knows that he's in chains and he's been arrested and he's being, Paul's not sitting there, standing there getting his feelings hurt. If you remember, he already got in the flesh for a second and tried that and got punched in the mouth. Remember? So he's not doing that. He's just walking by the Holy Spirit here. And he knows I'm here for a reason. Today, I get to stand before Felix, one of the most famous people in the entire Roman Empire. God's moving me up the ladder. I'm going to get to Caesar here eventually. Okay? And so he's looking for an opportunity to share the gospel in this trial, in this tribulation that he's in. And his argument that he makes is a very wise argument because he bases it on laws that are recognized both by Jews and by Romans. Laws concerning the testimony of accusers and how you are to enter evidence in trial. And he makes it really a, a pretty interesting argument. But the argument that he makes is recognized by Jewish law, by the law of Moses, and it's recognized by the law, uh, laws of Rome, and it's recognized by the laws of the United States today. So he bases his argument on something that everybody in the courtroom has to agree with, that there are, there's no, there are no accusers here. There's just hired professionals talking about things that they don't know anything about. There's no eyewitness here. Everything has to be established by an eyewitness. And the way they've entered evidence into this, into this uh, proceeding is completely wrong according to the laws uh, of the land. But during that defense, he says something that I don't think Paul planned at all. And I think the Holy Spirit planned it because it's really interesting. He said... In general, I just came here to Jerusalem to bring an offering to my brothers, the Jews. Okay? And you can just see Felix. It's in the story. Bing! Money. Paul's got a lot of money. Jews always got a lot of money. And if Paul came to bring money to the Jews in Jerusalem, he's got a lot of money. Now, Paul doesn't have a penny on himself at this time, probably. But if you remember what I told you, they didn't carry that money with them. They had letters of credit, okay? So he believes, it's, it's in here in the story, he believes that Paul's got a lot of money, and suddenly he's very interested in Paul for two reasons. One is the, you know, the angel demon on your shoulder thing in the cartoons. <laughs> one's the angel side saying, Paul knows Jesus, and you've been interested in Jesus. The other one's the demon side saying, money, 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 Okay? But he's interested, and he has this opportunity. So his ears perk up when he hears about this large sum of money because he loved to get bribes. And, but Paul, in his defense, he, he, he makes a very strong uh, argument uh, legally, but then he turns the whole thing. When you read it, you'll see this in, in there. He turns the whole thing into saying something very important. He says that Tertullus here, called the way a sect of the Nazarenes. But I proclaim to you that it is not a sect, that they are a sect, that this is actually the true Jewish faith. This is the true faith of the law and the prophets. 
they are the ones who are a heresy. They are the ones who have broken away because Jesus is the Messiah. And then he turns the whole thing into an opportunity to preach the resurrection from the dead. Okay? And again, bing, Felix's ears go up because his wife, Drusilla, together with all the Pharisees that are making these accusations, they believe very strongly in the resurrection. And they know that everyone is going to be judged. And they will pay a price for what they've done on this earth. And Felix knows he's not been living right. Because he's a slave in his own mind. And there's fear comes on him because he hears about the resurrection. So, when all this happens, Paul says that I continue to strive in good conscience before God and before men. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, In view of this, Paul's talking, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Why? Because I know there's coming a day of resurrection. And I want to be amongst those who are resurrected unto eternal life, not amongst those who are resurrected unto eternal damnation. And he says, that's why I live my life in a good conscience, before God and before men. And this strikes to the heart of Felix. Look with me now at verse 22. It says in verse 22, But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, remember the really important Roman soldier in the chapters before? That was over a thousand men. That's Lysias. He says, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. By the way, in the story, Lysias never comes down. He's just putting them off with words. Then he gave orders to the centurion, for him, Paul, to be kept in custody, and pay attention, and yet have freedom, and not to prevent any of Paul's friends from ministering to him. You see, there's two natures at war in Felix. He doesn't know what to do with Paul. Should he bless Paul, or should he kill Paul? He's not sure what to do. And it says, but some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. This is the one who is the daughter of Herod the Great, the most beautiful woman in Judea. His wife, who was a Jewess. And, she sent, and, and they sent for Paul. And her, so Felix and Drusilla, some days later, heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing, pay attention to these three things, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. And he said, go away for the present. And when I find time, I will summon you. So Felix, in the beginning of this little part, he puts off the trial until later. Then, when he has the opportunity to receive Jesus, Really received Jesus. And again, remember, he knows everything about Christianity. He knows everything about what's going on. And he has the opportunity to really repent of his sin. And he's sitting there with his wife, who should not even be his wife, according to the scripture. But Paul is not heaping condemnation on them. He's preaching the gospel to them, and they have an opportunity to repent before God. And God, in his mercy, you know that they would have been saved on that very day. This is going to happen again in a later story in Acts, but it happens right here. And instead of accepting Jesus, he says, I'll meet you tomorrow, Jesus. I'll put you off until tomorrow. When the topic of righteousness, which means a right relationship with God, the topic of self-control, which means a right relationship with people, it's about morality. Righteousness is a right relationship with God, and self-control is a right relationship with people. And they are intertwined. They go hand in hand. Because when you don't love your brother, you don't love God. And when you do love God, you will love even your enemy who does you evil and pray for him. So when the topic of righteousness and self-control comes up, and then it's followed by the topic of the coming judgment. It tells us that these topics, they strike fear in the heart of Felix. And I want to tell you something today. Those topics still strike fear in the hearts of those who hear them. And they should. And sometimes 
Oftentimes, in the modern days, we forget to preach the whole gospel. Or we're afraid to preach the whole gospel. We're afraid to talk to people about coming judgment. We're afraid to tell people that there is a hell to shun and a heaven to be gained. But Paul's not afraid to say that. He speaks the truth, but he speaks it in love. And it strikes fear into the heart of Felix. That's probably why we so seldom talk about it. Fear has one of three responses. The first response is fight. The second response is flight. And the third response is curiosity, a desire to understand and know why I'm so afraid. Okay? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that Felix was afraid is not a bad thing. That Felix was afraid was actually a really good thing. It was the beginning of an opportunity to really know and understand Jesus. But Felix, that day, he did not advance from terror to truth. There's an advancement from terror to truth. You either fight the terror, or you run from the terror, fight or flight, or you advance through that fear unto the truth and unto an understanding and a knowledge. But that didn't happen with Felix. Let's read on. In verse, 20, verse 25, he says, Go away for the presence, and when I find time, I will summon you. So at the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given to him. A bribe would be paid to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for Paul quite often and converse with him. So they have a lot of Bible studies together, it tells us. They have weekly Bible studies together. Why? Because Felix is hoping to get paid a bribe. And Paul, why? Because he's hoping that Felix will get saved. And this is the kind of relationship that they have going on here, and it keeps on going. In verse 27, it says, But after two years had passed, so two years of Bible studies, two years of sitting with the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to you, and all you can think of is, I want that bribe. I want that bribe. And Paul never pays the bribe. But he just keeps on going, keeps on putting Jesus off. I mean, Jesus has so much patience with us. It's not a one time I put off Jesus and, and he didn't come back tomorrow. You know, think of the patience that God had with Esau in the story of Jacob and Esau. But the New Testament tells us that when Esau sold his birthright for a pot of beans, a little bowl of beans, that that was it. The New Testament tells us that Esau, he sought for a place of repentance and he sought for it with tears. He tried to change his father's mind. And interestingly enough, Isaac, their dad, actually wanted to change it back. But they could not change back what happened because he rejected his birthright. It went over to Jacob and Esau lost it. There comes a point when you put Jesus off enough when you limit him enough, it's not that he says, that's it, I'm never going to meet with you anymore or something like that. But it's just you do such damage to your own soul. You do such damage to your own heart. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. But vacillation, putting Jesus off, waiting until tomorrow, is the beginning of the hardening of the heart. And Felix is a story of a man who's close, but at the end, his heart is triple hardened because he always puts Jesus off till tomorrow. And I want to tell you that this is not something just about whether you got saved or you didn't get saved. Remember in this story, we've got people who are actually church members, Simon and, you know, who knows, Felix maybe went forward and prayed the prayer of, uh, of faith or something at some church service or something. It doesn't matter, but they're not living their lives as Christians. You know how dangerous it is to say no to Jesus? I mean, when the Lord's calling you to do something. I, the, true story. Yesterday morning, I woke up. Uh, no, Friday night, I went to bed, and I said, there ain't no way I'm going back to that fairground Saturday morning. No, I'm serious. I was so tired. I mean, I knew I'd do it. But I was, I was mad about having to go on Saturday morning. But it was just because I was exhausted. I woke up Saturday morning with this renewed energy, you know, and, and I got excited. And I said, I'm not going to say no to you, Jesus. 
You know, I was going to go anyway, but you go with a bad attitude, it's like saying no to Jesus. Because this really applies in little things. I'm going to go with a good attitude. I'm going to go knowing that I have an opportunity to meet people today, and maybe somebody needs to be ministered to. Maybe there's something that you have uh, for me to do there. And it's just been a great day. You know, because if you say no to Jesus on the little things, and you keep saying no, it's the little things that make the difference. It's not the big thing. You know, it's not, you know, I said no to Jesus, and, I, and I'm not going to go to Africa to be a missionary. You know, you're not even going to ever get the opportunity to be called to Africa as a missionary. And believe you me, that's an honor if you were ever called to go to Africa as a missionary. Or, you know, whatever the big thing is for you. Okay? But you don't even get to the big thing until you pass through a series of little things. It's just like kids in school. You have to grow up before he calls you into the big things. And it's the little things that make so much of a difference in our lives. Saying yes to Jesus. We cannot make a habit of putting Jesus off until tomorrow. Because the Lord says, I have a good friend, Kevin McMullen, who came here and preached not that long ago. He, t- he can tell the story. It's his own story of what the Lord told him when he saw some guys out riding bicycles on a Sunday morning one time instead of going to church. And the Lord just spoke to him, uh, if I remember right. He said to him, you know, Kevin, I- I'm not going to be ignored forever. You know, Jesus will not just be put off forever. Because, like we sang, he is my friend and he's my father, even though he actually is my king. And he will not just be put off forever. So Felix puts Jesus off and his heart becomes completely hardened. Two years pass. It says two years had passed. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. There's a new governor, Festus. We'll talk about him next. Uh, Not today. Don't worry. (laughs) And... And uh, because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, so you can see that the devil on the shoulder won out in the end. He still just wants a bribe. He still wants to do people favors. And Felix actually continued to have a successful career and evaded getting executed like his brother and that was always able to worm his way into favor with somebody. And doesn't that just sound wonderful until you're standing before God And he says to you, you know, why? Why did you squander what I gave you in this life? There was a time when you were a slave, and I restored you to royalty, Felix. I restored you when you were 35 years old. I set you free. You had an opportunity. You had people that told you about Jesus. I sent the apostle Paul to you, and you still put me off until tomorrow? Why? Was it really worth all that? So he wanted to do the Jews a favor. So what does he do? He leaves Paul in prison. So Paul's been in prison for two years. But listen to this. Two years of prison for Paul. If you remember, all his friends are ministering to him. So you've got Philip that lives there in that town. You've got Luke. You've got his whole team. And they're all coming and going. You know what those two years were for Paul? They were two years of rest. Two years of of preparation for the big ministry that God has for him now. Two years for preparing to go to Rome. There's going to be a shipwreck. He's going to stand before Caesar. There's going to be all kinds of adventures ahead for Paul. And God gives him this special time. You know, being in prison doesn't have to be a curse. (laughs) For Paul, it's a blessing. He has two years to rest. Now, I don't want any of you to go to prison. But we get in these situations in life where we feel like we're in prison, right? And instead of complaining about it, just be like, okay, there's something God has for me here. You know, there's something that God has for me in this place. And so it's a time of rest for Paul, but it's a time of hardening of heart for Felix. I'm going to end by going over to Hebrews chapter 3. If you'll just go over there for just a couple of minutes. Everyone knows these verses. You can read through this as homework also. But it says in chapter 3 of Hebrews, Take care, brethren. Chapter 3, verse 12, take care, watch out. And I'm te- that's what I want you to hear this morning, what the Holy Spirit is signifying and speaking to us. Take care, be careful, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And that's written to Christians. 
Don't be a Felix. Don't be a Simon. How did that happen to Felix? Because he said no to Jesus. And he kept saying no over and over and over again. And he became triple hardened. So don't let that happen to you, he says. Watch out for your heart. It's the most important thing that you have. It's who you are on the inside. That you would not fall away from the living God. But encourage one another. So watch out for each other. Parents, watch out for your kids. Kids, watch out for your parents. You know, watch out for each other. We're a family. This doesn't mean going around judging each other and condemning each other, but just watching out for each other and encouraging one another. Day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, you have to underline the word if, we are Christ's partners in this business. We are Christ's companions, his comrades. We're working together. We share in the profit of the kingdom and we share in the loss of the kingdom. And the loss of the kingdom is only the cross of Jesus Christ. We bear his cross, but we share in the profit of the kingdom together with him. We are joint heirs. We are partners, it says. We are partakers. But then it says, if we hold fast. Because our participation is what you call eschatological. It has to do with the future. We only come into the full benefits of this partnership when he comes back. So we have to hold on all the way until the end. And so it says, as long as it's called today, hold on. And then it says in verse 4, you can read through it all later. It says, therefore, let us fear. Let us fear. The fear is a good thing. If we can go from the terror to the truth, let us be stricken with terror before God. But let us move from the terror into the presence of God and go boldly where we discover the truth and our lives are changed. Let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So if you'll read through this and read on through chapter 4, you'll see that this was the simple uh, problem, the, 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 the reason this happened to Felix. It's the reason it could happen to any of us. What causes hardening of heart? It's when you hear God's word, but you put it off until tomorrow. You don't mix it with faith. When, the, when you get... God's word, it has to be mixed with something. It's like you open one of those packets of pancake mix. You can't just eat it dry. You've got to mix God's word with something. You have to mix it with your faith. And that means not that you believe it with your head. Felix believes it with his head. Simon believes it with his head. But neither of them believe it with their heart. It means that you believe with the heart. And if you believe with the heart, you'll know it because you'll actually do what the word of God says. When you really believe something, you do it, right? And so when it's mixed with faith, then it produces blessings and fruit in our lives. And when it's not, it causes our hearts to be hardened. It says in verse 7 of chapter 4, he fixes a certain day today, saying through David so long a time before. He says that Joshua could not give them rest because only Jesus can give them us rest. And in verse 9, he says that it remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a rest. There is a Sabbath for the people of God to live in. And the Sabbath rest, do you know when God made it for you? Do you remember? If you'll read that, it tells you. Well, he created us on the sixth day. And the first morning we woke up, ugh, seventh day, God created rest. And he said, come on in here. And Adam said, basically, Nah, me and my wife want to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't want to rest with you. We've got work to do, God. And God says, okay. And that's what happened. But Hebrew says that rest was created for us on the seventh day. And it's still there. It's where God lives. So we're really not taking Jesus to school with us. That's just a way of speaking. We're actually going to school with Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus lives here. He's in this house. I pulled up this morning, and uh, I think Larry or somebody was talking about everybody down at the fairgrounds 
And I said, well, Jesus isn't down at fairgrounds. Jesus is here because we're here. Wherever we are. I'm not saying Jesus isn't there, but I mean, this is his house. We're in his rest. He's with us, okay, because we are with him. And God even says, I will be with you when you are with me. He says that in scripture. I'll be with you when you are with me. So we're not putting Jesus off until tomorrow. The last thing I want to say to you is one of the most important reasons why you should never put Jesus off until tomorrow. Why you should be afraid of that. Why you should tremble before the sharp, two-edged sword of God's word, as it says later in Hebrews 4. Listen carefully. Because there actually is no tomorrow. It says there's only one day in Hebrews chapter 4, and it's called today. So when you put Jesus off until tomorrow, what you've really done is you've put him off for eternity. You don't know that that opportunity will come back. You don't know that. In his mercy, he gives us new todays. But you don't know how many new todays we have. We only have today. When tomorrow comes, it's already called today, right? We only have today. So if you hear his voice today, I want to encourage you, just say yes to Jesus. Whatever it may be, say yes to him. Let's stand together. Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.